All right. Well, good afternoon. I'm, I'm glad that none of you ran to the hospitality to get some free coffee. Ah, I'm glad that all of you guys are staying still and everything. Well, welcome, all of you. Um, I'm glad that you're here. Are you guys kind of feeling the little bit of the warmth coming around? Thanks. Good to have you back. Good to see you in a long time. Let me pray. So, Lord, I come before you. We thank you, Father, for this time. I pray that you would... Uh, Use this time to really be able to um, get into your word, to really hear from you, and this is your time, um, to really be able to um, speak to us, so speak. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, we all at some point of our lives will suffer. You know, maybe in the fact that for some, maybe they've lost their jobs and they will suffer. You know, for some, maybe they were abandoned or maybe the fact that they were rejected by someone. Maybe their spouse, maybe a friend, and they will suffer. And there's going to be those who um, possibly for some, maybe you've kind of studied for that exam and you failed and you will suffer. A friend of mine just recently was um, diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and he's at the last stages where he's lost a lot of weight and he is suffering. And those around him are suffering as well. You know, accidents do happen, a meal is ruined, maybe you fall off a bike. We all have suffered or will suffer at some point of our lives. And you're thinking right now, Pastor Ben, I came here to be encouraged and you're starting it this way. You know, we're in First Peter and Peter just talks a lot about suffering, suffering as a Christian. And today we're going to be talking a little bit more about that. But as we get into this passage, and we're going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 4, and we'll be looking at verses 12 to 19. You know, we've been kind of going over just a really broad spectrum of just what suffering could look like in the last few weeks. And I believe that many of the sermons have talked a lot about this thing. It's our series title is called Exiles, Hope in a World that is Not Our Home. And we've talked a lot about different kinds of suffering, but today's a little bit more focused. It's a little bit more narrow. In this passage that we're going to be going over today, in um, chapter 4, it does talk a lot about suffering, but it doesn't talk about it in such a broad spectrum. It actually talks about it in such a way that even though there's a lot of parts of suffering, but he, all of a sudden he focuses on one thing. And it talks about focusing on as we suffer as a Christian. Because we can suffer many things in life, but what does it mean for us to go and really suffer as a Christian? You know, suffering as a Christian can take many forms. When I say that, we think about those people in, in maybe Asia. Some were being beaten or maybe even put in jail. We know that there have been, in recent um, years, some executions that have happened in the Middle East because there are Christians, because of ISIS and also the Taliban. I remember a time when um, I was traveling in Dushan Bay and I was traveling into Afghanistan. And I met a lady along the way, and she had been gang raped because of her faith in Jesus Christ. And so when I talk about suffering as a Christian, yes, we're talking about that. But at the same time, I was thinking it over in the fact that we are not directly persecuted like that here in the United States. We're not persecuted in such a way that, you know, we're not put in jail. We're not going and beaten or anything else. But the kind of suffering that, you know, we hear about all the time, many times it's reserved for the missionary, it's reserved for that, I don't know, just in foreign lands, but not here. 
So let me today contextualize it in a little bit for us today. And the fact that I was thinking it through, talking to my wife, and it's like, how do I do this? Because it seems so distant, it seems so far, and this kind of suffering as a Christian. And I realized the fact that I think here in the United States is actually harder. Because it's as we're going through suffering, it's how we suffer, how we suffer through it in a way that we do it like a Christian. Do we do it as we are suffering? Do we keep God close? Do we go and do it like the way that Christians are supposed to do it? Or do we do it like everybody else in the world? So sometimes it's actually more difficult here. And so when I was thinking this time, I was like, you know what? There's going to be a time in our lives that we all will suffer. And there's going to be a time where we will need to go and maybe think through our situation. And ultimately, we need to respond to it. Do we respond to it in such a way that all of a sudden we see God at work? Or do we respond to it in such a way that we actually miss out on what God can do through our lives and maybe even do to the church? And that's why it's so crucial. Pastor Steve, in the beginning of this whole series, said, I don't know if you guys know this, but Living Hope Community Church, this is where we get our name, right? 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. And it reads, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And it's because of what Jesus has done in the cross and that he has called us to a living hope, but he has also called us to be living hope. And so we find our name written in here, but we also find some Christians who are suffering and they're looking for hope in the midst of their suffering. So today, let me go and just let you know the fact that, you know, today we're going to be talking about to experience living hope, that we must have a worldview of why we suffer as Christians. As we talk about today, that when we have a worldview of why we suffer as a Christian, that we can grow as a Christian and be a part of being living hope to others around us. If you don't remember anything else, remember this. If we can keep our thoughts on what suffering as a Christian means that we can make timely decisions that will guide us to be more mature as a Christian and that we can see the very power of God's living hope working through our lives and also working around us. You know, this, the decisions, actually how we live our lives, is actually really based on what we think, right? So why don't you open up your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4. And we're going to be looking at verses 12. And let me go ahead and read from there, okay? It says, Beloved, do not be surprised by the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange is happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you will be blessed because of the spirit of glory and of God rest upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. Let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if righteousness is scarce, um, if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Amen. That's God's word. 
And as we go through the scriptures today, we go through these verses today, I believe it's quite easy to understand some of the main points. And if you didn't get the, your bulletin, you can go and get your bulletin, go and look at the notes and everything's always good. Write your notes. It's good. Okay. You know, there are some implicit and also implicit commands that were actually made um, within the larger context. Okay. So we're going to be looking at chapters 4, 12 to 19. But let me kind of just for a moment give you the larger context of what is happening. Because we've been hearing some sermons and maybe that gets lost a little bit. Because Peter's actually talking about when we are suffering, these are some of the things that you should do. And when you are suffering, here's my themes that you should understand. When you are suffering, here is just, I'll give you my theology when you are suffering. So if you look at chapters 3 to 4 to 19, that's kind of like the larger context. So when I look at chapter 3, let me just give you one verse. But he's actually saying this, when you are suffering, never withdraw. We should never withdraw. First Peter 3, 15, it says, Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. And so we should never withdraw. When we're going through times of suffering, hardships, when things get really hard, don't turn back. This is the time, the fact that we're supposed to go and just dig in. Because, you know, because of what Christ has done on the cross for us, there's actually victory that is there that we can actually speak of. So never withdraw. But another thing he talks about in chapter 4 as we do the beginning part of chapter 4. When it comes to suffering, choose not to sin. Pastor James talked about being kind of like making sure we check our physicality or our body. And, I, and the way I would say is that we learn how to make choices when people see our lives, they see the fact that there's a counting of the cost to follow Christ. That within our bodies, there's a sense that we're growing in purity. That we want to keep our bodies pure. So when it comes to suffering, never withdraw. You know what? Don't sin in the midst when we feel like things are just getting hard. That you're willing just to kind of run away from God. But as we get into today, he kind of finishes this thought by saying, you know what? When it comes to suffering... Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid when you go times of suffering. For Christ has gone before us, and God is also with us. So let's get into this. So let me give you point number one. You know, suffering as a Christian should never come as a surprise. We read in verse 12, it says, Beloved, do not be surprised by a fire trial. This is a test. Don't be surprised when things are happening to you. You know, when we're going through times of suffering, things get hard. We don't understand what's going on. Many times we can respond maybe two ways. One, we can believe the fact that we just are not deserving of, what, of, of God and that, you know what, God doesn't love me anymore. I, mean, I've made, I totally screwed up. I've, been, I've, I'm just, I've gone too far and God doesn't love me. Or sometimes we can feel as if like, why, why is this happening to me? I don't understand. And we get a little confused. And so Peter, he tries to just answer these perplexing problems that we have. And he starts off in verse 12, and he uses the word beloved. He wants to let you know the fact that God loves you. There's nothing that you could ever change. The fact that no matter what you're going through, no matter how you feel, no matter what your thoughts are, no matter what maybe you think people are saying about you, no matter what, God loves you no matter 
It's just nothing that can happen. And Peter, in a sense, when he uses that word beloved, he's talking about people who follow Christ. He's talking about people who are Christians. And he's also letting you know that, I just want to let you know I love you guys too. You're my beloved also. The fact that God loves you and that his love is uninfluenceable, that nothing can ever change. And the fact that, you know what, you need to learn how to rest in that no matter how far we go away from him. And we think sometimes, you know what, not only that, but we sometimes we think it's just strange. Why is this happening to me? Let me give you some reasons of why maybe suffering happens. You know, one is the fact that we live in a very sinful world already, right? After COVID, we realize watching the news and watching everything else, there's just sin in the world and there is suffering. And it's just the reality. And we should never freak out about that. But another thing that we should not worry, um, think about too is the fact that we are Christians. And this is kind of, that might sound kind of freaky. But the fact that Christians were called to suffer. We actually kind of signed up for it. You know, we, we say that we follow a suffering servant. And we choose to follow him. And this ser- suffering servant decided to go and die for the sins of the world. And he is our example. And so we say we follow him. And so we should never freak out by saying the fact that, wow, man, this whole Christian life and everything, they're suffering it. We signed up for it. It's part of the Christian life. And not only that, he says that it's a fiery trial. It's a test. But these fiery trials were actually meant to make us better. It was actually meant to purify us. It was a test, but it was never a test to make us fail. It was a test to go and make us more mature. And so when we're going through times of suffering or times that are just really hard, it was actually made to make us better. And so when we think through this fact, the fact that, you know what, suffering as a Christian, it should never come as a surprise. We live in a sinful world. We decided to go and follow a suffering servant who decided to go and dis- to, to die for the sins of the world, and we follow him. And so, you know what, but in the midst of that, he will make us more mature as we follow him. You know, verse 13, it says, in the midst of suffering, rejoice. But rejoice in verse 13. So let me give you number two. That suffering as a Christian should always serve as a cause for rejoicing. In verse 4, 13, it says, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering. That you may also rejoice and be glad that... When his glory is revealed, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because of the spirit of glory and God rests upon you. And it sounds kind of weird in the fact that in the midst of suffering that we're called, it's, it's actually an implicit command. When you are suffering, you should continually rejoice that you are suffering. And the reason why he gives this, I'll give you two. That it enables us to participate in the suffering and the glory of Christ. It helps us to go and understand the fact that we get to participate and actually be living hope. We are called to be a living hope, but we're also called to be a reflection of living hope to the world. And we get to participate with him because we decided to follow a suffering servant. And all of a sudden now we get to go and actually participate with him in his glory. Another reason is the fact that, and this is a great one, because he brings us the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You know, when we're going times of suffering and we call to rejoice, 
you know what's happening? God is, you allow God to come into your life and be very present. That he brings the Holy Spirit into your life during these times. That he allows you to go through times of suffering. But this is a time that he says, I'm going to come alongside and I'm going to be more real to you. I'm actually going to be, allow me to come alongside of you, to comfort you, to let you know that I am present in your life right now. And he's going to minister to you in his way. You know, um, I, I wonder many times, and I, when I talk to people, they always are wondering, I mean, I need to get deeper with God, I need to learn more things about God and get more knowledge. And they're wondering if they are growing in Christ. Am I growing as a Christian? Or sometimes we wonder, when things are not going our way, we wonder, where is God in all of this? And I have to tell you in the fact that, you know what? I think this, during these times, this is when God is actually closer than you think. That God is coming alongside of you. That he allows these times so that way he can come alongside and make himself much more real. I remember, I don't know if it was for you, but during time of COVID, I felt like I was off my pace. I just couldn't find my rhythm. And I felt like as if I was so tired and I could not just, I felt like I was on my edge. Actually, I just felt like I was just, I was done. I felt like, you know, yes, we were called to just to stay at home or do some other things. But I was trying to find it. And I just, I was like, this is just too hard sometimes. And so all I could do during those times was to get on my knees and take time to pray. But it was during those times when I was praying that I felt that he was so close, that he was so real. Now, I'm a little strange. But when I, when I pray, I feel as if, if it's my hand and I grab my other hand as if it was God's hand grabbing onto me. I said, when I'm praying, I feel like I'm just so weak. But it's during those times I feel like he's just so strong and he's holding on to me. And it's a reminder for me in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 to 11. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest upon me. And that is why for Christ's sake, I delight in my weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, I know, I know he's strong, but I also know I am strong with him. You know, he, he says these things. And so suffering as a Christian should never, should be one that it should always cause us for rejoicing. Because it enables us to participate with him, to go and say, Hey, we have a chance to be living hope. The chance to reflect living hope in the world. But not only that, he comes alongside of us to minister us, to, to minister to us, to show the fact that he is real, that he is present. And that's why we rejoice. But he also gives this in verse 15. He gives us a slight warning. He actually puts us a notice. That you know what, these fiery trials were meant to go and purify us, make us better, more mature. But at the same time, we can do it the wrong way. In verse 15, it says, But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief, an evildoer or a meddler. And I read that and I thought, well, I'm, I'm so good. I'm not a murderer. I'm not a thief. So I kind of bypassed that verse really quickly. No, we should never bypass the verse. He says that if anyone suffers as a Christian, and the word Christian, many times, you only find it three times in the New Testament. This is one of those times. But every time Christian is used, many times it's used as a derogatory term, a swear word. Ah, oh, you're one of those Christians. I can't believe the fact that, man, those Christians, right? 
being persecuted as a Christian. But, he, but Peter goes on, he says, but let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. So let me give you number three. To suffer as a Christian is never by the wrong that we do, but doing what is right for Christ. Now, when I look at that verse and I look at like, things like murderer and, 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 and thief and everything, it seems as if like I could just bypass that because I'm actually I'm not one of those. But the Greek actually separates those two by the evil, the, the murderer and the evildoer, like the really bad people, capital punishment. Those guys, man, they are really bad. And then it goes and kind of separates the part. It says evildoer and meddler. You know, the ones that talk behind other people's back, doesn't treat people nicely. Meddler just kind of means like the ones that go and like they like to stick their noses, noses into other people's business. And it kind of gives you, lets you know the fact that, man, even in that spectrum, wow, even at the bottom of that, I, I'm pretty guilty about that. But as we, I know, I, I remember the New Testament. Jesus kind of redefined murderer and thief. That many times we can go and murder people within our own hearts. And many times we can go and steal from others when we covet other things that don't belong to us. And what we realize is the fact that we are not deserving. That many times we have failed and maybe trying to do things right. But that's the reason why we have the gospel. The gospel is good news of knowing what Jesus has done in the cross. Because of what he has done in the cross, we can go and live with him, right? When we receive him as our Savior and as our Lord. But we have to understand this. It's, that it's not an intellectual thing. It's an encounter that we have with God. You know, I, I believe the fact that many times that we have, you know, we live in a time that everybody likes to stick their noses into, into other people's business. You know, I watch the news and, and people have these opinions and, and, and views. And if you look and you watch the news and you see the titles, they're not called newscasters anymore. They're called like news commentary people. That they like to pick on people that they don't like. And they kind of point out all the flaws and what they're doing wrong. But I think we do the same also. But we're called to go and suffer correctly as a Christian, rightly. So how do, we suffer, you know, how do we suffer in such a way that we do it in the right way? You know, at first I picked up Luke 10, 27. And, you know, we know the greatest commandment that Jesus answered, that you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and with all of your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And I think about that, and I said, that's true. I mean, we have to go and follow the greatest commandment. But at the same time, sometimes we look at these commandments as something like law. But when Christ came in and he died for the sins of the world, the commandment that he has given is not law to us. It's not some rules that we need to follow. This is actually supposed to be something of how we live our lives because of knowing what Christ has done for us, that we're supposed to be a reflection of living hope. That we're supposed to put God first. Or that we're supposed to love others in the way that Christians are supposed to love. When it comes to keeping God first, that we stay pure in our relationship with Christ, that we keep him first, that we take time to go and read his word and, and pray, right? We're supposed to do that. But more importantly, when we take time to read and pray, we actually take time to listen to him as we read and as we pray, that we allow God to go and navigate our lives in such a way that he is our Lord and he is our Savior, 
that we take time to go and say, you know what, I'm willing to sacrifice some of the things I know I'm supposed to be sacrificing and, and maybe build some new habits, maybe get rid of some old habits that I know I'm supposed to be doing, keeping God first. Not out of obligation, but because of knowing what Christ has done. Another thing is the fact of just learning how to love our neighbors, of loving other people around us. And we truly have to do it as a Christian. And maybe, you know, keeping our relationships pure, keeping our marriage vows. For those of you who are married, maybe if you're not married, still yet keeping your relationships pure. Maybe treating people with gentleness and respect as you are going through your work, that you conduct your businesses and work in such a way that they can identify you as a Christian. That you, as parents, do your kids see your faith, not only in church, but they see it at home. That we use our talents and our skills not to go and curse people, but we use our talents and skills so that way we will bless them. You know, why choose to suffer as a Christian rightly? Let me give you number four. It's the fact that we suffer as a Christian. If we suffer as a Christian, we have an opportunity to be living hope. Let me read verse 17. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it, if it begins with us, and it begins with us first, what would be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if, righteous, if, if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Why do we choose to suffer as a Christian in the right way? And we know, you know, it's normal to suffer as a Christian. We know it's that. We know it brings the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We also know that it helps us to grow. And that's a good thing. But this verse reminds us in the fact of why we are here on earth. Why you are here on earth. That Pastor Steve talked about that we are called living hope. In 1 Peter Chapter 1, verse 3. And that we are called to be living hope. That we are called to be a reflection of living hope in the world. And the time has come. In verse 17, it uses the word time. And we have to understand what time means. Especially in the Greek. There's two words for Greek in time. One is chronos and the other one is kairos. Chronos, we kind of, it kind of sounds familiar like chronological chronicle, the ticking of the clock, something that is measured, right? It's quantitative time, the rising of the sun and the setting of the sun. And that's one kind of time. The other time is called kairos, K-A-I-R-O-S. And kairos is little, it's, it's, it's used less, but it's just as important. Many times philosophers, mystics, they use the word kairos, and it means um, deep time. Time of opportunity, critical time. It's the time that within our lives that we come to the point and we're just going through so much and we realize the fact that we have to make a decision and all of a sudden the earth just stops. It's the time in our lives and the fact that we just have this big, big deep exhale. And you realize the fact that you have a decision that needs to be made. Opportunity, critical time. And this is not quantitative time. This is quality time. Quality, uh, quality time, an opportunity to just move forward in the present. But as you're going through it and you're deciding, all of a sudden everything stops, stands still. And, then just, um, and you're untethered by the moving of the clock. So in verse 17 it says, time 
before judgment. This is kairos time, deep time, critical time. And it says that it will start with us. So let me ask you a question, being living hope. And the question is this, are we being and are we living out living hope within the church first? Because it starts with us. Are we living living hope here? You know, when we come on Sunday to worship, are we putting God first? Are we putting our, our, our time of worship in the fact that we are loving him the best way we can? That we're taking time to go and not just sing songs, but time that we're seeking him, listening to him, making sure the fact that, you know what, he is our Savior and as our Lord. Are we treating the time that we have here when we come to Living Hope, how are we treating others around us? How are we speaking about them, thinking about them, treating them? Those Christians who are here in our church right now, how, how, how do we treat them? And I think about the fact of this treating and speaking or thinking about other Christians, maybe in the bigger C church, right? We belong to a bigger body. How are we doing with that? And as I watched the news this past year, we're not doing very good. Right, we're seeing about how one church thinks this, does this. There's inter-fighting amongst churches. There was like a suit or something that was happening within all churches too. And I wonder within our own church, many times, maybe even within our own cell groups, how are we doing to be a living hope within the church first? It starts with us. But if we have a problem, then what about those who don't know Jesus? The ones who are outside the church, do they see living hope within our work, within our classes, maybe within our homes? Do our kids, if you are a parent, do your kids see your faith lived out inside and outside of the home? You know, there's a number that haunts me. It's 80%. Yes, 80%. Did you know that 80% of those who are youth you know, they graduate from high school, 80% will leave their faith by the time they get into college, 80%. And some of you are thinking, well, that was me. I've kind of left my faith and I came back. There are new studies happening with those who are in the millennial age, those of you in the prime age. Many are thinking about their faith, and you know what? They decided to just leave their faith and they're not coming back. It's, this is called de deconstructing your faith. They're deconstructing their faith because they're realizing the fact that they've been trying this Christianity thing for so long. I mean, they, they, they pray, they read the Bible, they go to church, and they wonder, does this darn thing work? They see their families, and they, sing, it's, they see the divorces or the fights. They see their friends, and they wonder, does this thing work? And it says, if it doesn't work, then let me find something else. Now is the time for us to go and start living out our faith in such a way that we start experiencing God ourselves. That now is the time, Kairos time, to deeply think about the fact that are we really digging our time to really get to know God? Because he wants to get to know us. You know, there are different kinds of games that we can play. I actually titled this, um, this called, you know, Don't Be Afraid, Play the Eternal Game. Let me tell you about the eternal game. You know, there are many kinds of games that you can play in life. And because of COVID, we had many time on our hands, right? For some, you know, we, we just wanted to de-stress. We wanted to make sure we were mentally healthy, so we watched Netflix or Hulu. 
Or for some of us, maybe we started playing games, you know, things like those Fortnites and Call of Duty and all those other things. Nothing's wrong with those, okay? I'm just, so I'm, I'm just using it as an example. But you take time to go and play these games because, you know, you do fellowship. You have all these reasons to do that, right? But how do we spend our time? You know, for some people, they like to go and play political games. Or they like to play social change the world kind of games. So they look for ways to go and maybe change the world in such a way to change our city, change our country, change the world. And we love playing those kinds of games. And those things are important too. Because in Kronos time, the time that we have on earth, we want to make sure that, you know, justice is happening. Make sure things are done correctly. All those things are good. For some of us, we like to play the game of life and making sure we get a good job, making sure that we have the right kids. If we don't have the right kids, we, have, we find some other kids, <laughs> right? But we, we, we take time and we play the game of life, trying to make enough money. And those things are important too. But let me tell you about the eternal game. Because everything that we play here on life, we play chronos. The time that we have on earth it's so important, so we try to make the most of our time, and that's important. But many times we realize the fact that as Christians, we don't play on chronos time. We play on eternal time. In eternity, looks like this, right? And if I had an imaginary rope, okay, you got to imagine with me, you know, beginning of time, end of time, and you're thinking, you know, eternity is much longer than that. So you have to use the imagination that the rope keeps going on through the wall, over the mountain, over the hills, to grandma's house we go. And then the other side goes, and the other side, and all of a sudden it goes over the sea. And that's eternity, right? And we have this thing called chronos time here on earth. And we make the most of our time. But the problem is the fact that we think we have a lot of time in the midst of eternity. And my mentor did this to me. He took this. And we think, wow, we have this much time. No, because in the midst of eternity, this is what your life looks like. And he would just draw a little scratch on that rope. If you had to equate what our time looks like into that of eternity, our life is just a scratch. And we love the scratch. We do everything for the scratch. But we realize the fact that as Christians, we actually need to play the eternal game. That, you know what, the... The time that we have here on earth, the momentary times that we have, we actually have a time to make an impact in our lives as we go through suffering that would have the chance to go and change all of eternity for maybe someone else and maybe even for yourself. And so we have an opportunity to suffer in such a way that it has an eternal effect. In verse 19, it says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their soul to a faithful creator while doing good. And we're called to a time that we are called to go and do good. And as I was thinking through all of this, um, they reminded me of the fact that we have communion. And we, this, during this time, we have time to go and think about our relationship with Christ. That we have kairos time, deep time, critical time to decide what are we going to do from this point forward. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to call the elders. I'm going to call them. They come up and, you know, they're going to start passing out the elements during this time. But as we take communion today, and we're going to partake together. Say they pass it on. Don't do it right away. But I want you to grab the elements in this way. 
And the fact that how are you spending your time? You know, how is your time that you spent during this past year? You know, there are people that maybe you need to kind of get right with again. Or maybe in the fact that this is an opportunity for you to get right with God. You know, this is our time, the fact that to kind of think from this point forward, how am I going to go through my points of suffering? And how will I go through it in such a way that I could do it a better way? If you are parents, what do your kids think? Do they see your faith? How do they see your marriage? Do they see a Christian-like marriage in such a way that there's one that they would like to exemplify and what they would like to follow? So as we do this, are we being more like Jesus? Are we being living hope? And this is, not our, this is our time not to be afraid. This is our opportunity to go and play the eternal game. I want to pass out the elements. So once you take out the elements right now, so just hold on to it. Once you take time to go and um, seek God. Once you take this time of Kairos to go and deeply just talk to Him and make sure that your relationship is right with Him. Maybe take some time to go and say, God, um, I'm a sinner and in need of a Savior and I need you to be mine. It says in 1 John, um, 1 John 1, 9, it says, if I confess my sins, he is faithful and just to forgive me of my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Maybe this is a time when you think about how am I been treating those around me and maybe there's some phone calls that I need to make. Take this time. As we come before his table you know Jesus he sat around the table and um, with all of his disciples 
He knew that he was about to go to the cross, but at the same time, he knew where each of them stood, that each of them were sinners. He did not go and just judge them. He knew the fact that where they were at, and he knew that he was going to go to the cross for them anyway because he loved them. And as we come before his table, this is our opportunity to just to go and really experience his love. And so why don't you do this with me. As he went in, and so the first layer is where the wafer is at. He grabs the bread, and he broke it. And he says that this is my body that has been broken for you. When you take this time to go and uh, partake together. And you know, when you eat this, do this in remembrance of me. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 